we've been in, in a series called <clears throat> The Space in Between. Because, one, we meet at the space in between. But also because in life we all go through the space in between. We've, we've, we've anchored our study in this verse in Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And, and we've taken it really as a warning. The proverb writer is saying, look, when you're waiting, when you're waiting for the, the next thing to come that hasn't come, when... When you expected life to be different than the way it is, right? we, we all have that conversation in our mind. I thought I would be here by now. I thought I would have, but I thought I'd be married by now. I didn't think I'd be divorced at this point in my... All of those, I can't believe I'm in this season. The waiting that happens in the space in between can be challenging. The proverb writer says it can, it can make your heart sick, like it can discourage you it can weigh you down and so for the past two weeks we walked through some things that the bible has to say about that waiting period those spaces in our life that are in between where we were and where we really want to be but we're not yet and it's one thing to hear a sermon about it right? it's one thing to hear me talk about it it's one thing even to to look at what the bible says about it even though everything the bible says is true but it's a little something different to hear somebody tell you what it was like going through that space. And so I have a friend that's here today that's going to share her story with us. Would you welcome Nikki Berry to our platform today? Uh, Nikki and her family have been here at Journey for two years or so. Um, uh, almost since the beginning, they've been with us. And uh, we have a picture of Mike, her husband, and uh, the girls, Cecily and Gabrielle, beautiful family. And uh, some of you probably have met them or you've seen them here as you've worshipped. But there are parts of Nikki's story that uh, most of you probably don't know. And so I've invited her to share that. Um, Nikki, going all the way back, which wasn't that long ago, but when you were a little girl. That's kind. Uh, so you're, you're just a, your average girl doing girl things and, and being a kid and playing and going to school. And very different from most of our experiences and most of our experiences as parents, for sure. Uh, 10, 11, you, you went through a really difficult time. What happened at that point in your life? Right. So before I begin to share this part of the story, what I would like for you to sit here and think today is just to consider Jesus, because you're going to hear some medical story, but I want you to understand that all of what you're hearing today is Jesus, and I want you to um, walk out of here today going, that is her glory story because of what God has done for her and through her, not just, oh, that was a cool medical story, and I'm amazed by that, which is bizarre in and of itself. So as that sixth grader that Ken's talking about, at 11 years old, I was diagnosed with a tumor in my stomach. I actually had two of them, one the size of a grapefruit, the other the size of an orange. But it was a very rare form of tumor, so there was they didn't have a clue of treatment for that. So we just um, opted for a surgical removal, so they took the tumors plus half of my stomach at that point. At 11 in sixth grade, and... <clears throat> If you're a parent, you're, you're thinking about when your child was a sixth grader or 
if you have a sixth grader right now, kind of worst nightmare scenario probably yeah, for a Yeah, as a, a mom, parent. I get it now. Yeah. As a mom, I totally get that now. You kind of empathize with what your mom would have experienced now that you are a mom and you have these right. beautiful girls. So right. that that happens. That they, they take half your stomach, feel like they've removed everything. Seventh grade, eighth grade comes along. You're a freshman in high school and more problems. Yeah, as a freshman in high school, that was a fun year, but it was the <laughs> summer after okay. that I realized that something's still not quite right. But I knew exactly what it was. I'd felt that type of pain before. So back we went to the doctor, and sure enough, they confirmed that I had relapsed wow. with the exact same thing. Stomach um, cancer's back. It was. And uh, took half the stomach the first time, so what do they do now? We just took the rest of it this time. Um, and then they used my small intestine to make a pouch, and that's what I used as my stomach for yeah. years. Yeah, my wife reminded me in between services, we didn't mention in the first service, but when they got in there, they realized God gave you extra intestines. Right, they realized that last year, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have plenty to work with. Right, exactly. Which is amazing in and of itself. So at, at 15, right. whole stomach removed, recreate a stomach for you. And then follow that up with pretty aggressive chemo Correct. at 15. Correct. We did nine months on for um, 12 hours a day for five days in a row, and then I would get a little bit of a break, and then we would start the process again. You're 15, going through, probably nobody else in your school is going through this, but Correct. you have a circle of friends at that time right. that support you and encourage me. Where did they come from? How did they help you? What was that like? Right. So a message to teenagers today is choose wisely. Make wise friend choices now versus waiting until much later in life to do so. My friends, um, we all went to school together. We all went to church together. We did independent Bible studies together. Um, it was just a good, solid friend group. So then when you find yourself in that space in between, then those friends stick because you've already built solid foundations. And it's interesting, but you mentioned that um, probably in this series, if you're 14, 15, 16, you're not thinking, oh, well, that's going to be me. You know, I'm going to go through a difficult time. But 14, 15, 16 year olds do. You can. You can. I had an old pastor um, previously who told us that you're always either going into a trial, you're in the midst of a trial, or you're coming out of a trial. And that's regardless of age. Age does not discriminate on our trials. Right. It's just that our trials look much differently. Yeah. And just like this is my story, every one of you, if we went row by row, you would each be able to tell us of either the time that you're, you've already been at a space in between or that you are in the space in between. And yeah. all of those would look very different, but God can use us and he can use the, our stories for the same purpose, which is his glory. Yeah, and just one more little pause here. Uh, as, as teenagers or even as adults, when, when somebody around us is going through something like that, it can be hard to know how to respond and what to do. But you're, you had this great support. What, what would you say? What do you say to somebody during those times? What, what's most meaningful and helpful during those times? I think you can't say anything. I mean, there was nothing that anybody can say that's going to remove the hurt yeah. or remove the pain or make it all better yeah. right then. But if you're a friend, just go keep being a friend. You might be playing cards and visiting in a hospital room now versus around your dining room table. Mm -hmm. 
having a meal, but just be that friend. That's good. Yeah. So 15, chemo, um, new stomach, junior in high school, senior in high school, everything's going fine. You go to college. Um, now, had they made a specific diagnosis as the type of cancer this was at they that did. time? They, they knew did. how rare it was at they that did. time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you shared with me that at the time, the only cases they knew of were three Japanese men. True. That they had ever seen Adult. this particular. True. <laughs> yeah, cancer. Weird. True. So college, Mary Mike. Yep. Yeah, and then um, was there uh, was there concern about starting a family? There was Either question. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was concern. I just mean, didn't know. There was question, and that was question that we discussed even before we got married. Michael and I have known each other since we were in middle school, so we, we ran in the same circle of friends, so it's not like any of my diagnoses were new to him. He mm. knew the story. He just watched it from the outside versus that closeness of a relationship. Um, so we both knew that children were questionable, yeah. But as you saw from the family picture, it was more than possible. Um, yeah. It's amazing how God works in that, too. So with Gabrielle, they were afraid. She's the older one. They were afraid that maybe I couldn't consume enough calories to sustain both she and myself. But it was crazy how much food I ate <laughs> as being pregnant with her. I mean, it's an, an insane amount of food that I was able to eat with her to yeah. sustain probably all of us. But... Yeah. Um, that is just how good God is, and that is how gracious he is, and that's just where I, I see another piece of his hand in my life. And uh, during those years, <clears throat> God was giving you opportunities to tell this story. Right. To, and, and specifically to talk about your faith and your conviction that right. he had been with you and had sustained you through that whole time. Right. So I think it's of import to note, too, that I accepted Jesus as a fourth grade student. Um, and I know that sounds young, and that sounded to me very young, too, when my girls both came to us at the age of five and six and said, I'm ready to accept Jesus. And you're thinking, how can you make such a strong decision and be so solid in that foundation? And then I had to remember myself back even as a fourth grader. But not only did I remember that, and I remembered how real that that was for me, um, that is what sustained me, and that is what also carried me, even as a sixth grader. I didn't really understand the diagnosis at the time. I mean, let's face it. I didn't really understand anything, but, oh, I'm having surgery. But then as a 15-year-old, I got it, and I got that I needed Jesus, and I got Mm -hmm. that I had to be grounded in that faith, um, and in order to do that, I knew that that was quiet time with him, and that was prayer with him, and that allowed me to make some pretty bold prayers um, as a 15-year-old, so we discussed that chemo, and I did not tell this in the first service because my parents were sitting in here, but I will tell you guys, one of the boldest prayers that I've ever prayed in my life was, God, if you are going to take me at any part of this journey Um, I was probably six months into my chemo regimen. I was laying on the bed. I was sick of being sick, like Mm. physically sick of being sick. I said, if you were going to take me at any point in this journey, would you just not let me wake up right now? Mm. And I knew that they were fixing to give me some medicines to kind of make me go to sleep and just kind of relax a little bit. And I met that prayer. Now, as a 15-year-old, I had at stake parents. Like, those were the two people that I did not want to leave. As an adult... 
that prayer is completely different. Mm -hmm. But that's what I'm saying about our spaces in between. They can look so different at different yeah. times in our lives. And, and, and that's a great point because there is a lot of medical uh, discussion that we're having today. Your, your story is unique, but the, the discouragement that you felt is not that much different from the discouragement that we've all felt in other seasons of our lives. That's right. And so That's right. change the details around. Right. And yeah, yours is a pretty special story, but everybody's story is pretty special. Right. And the hurt and the discouragement that all of us feel, they're probably emotionally at least very similar to the things that you dealt with. Right. Um, kids come along, they're toddlers you're chasing them around and being mom and figuring out how to be a family of four instead of a family of two and two three years old and you start feeling something right so the girls were two and three they're 16 months apart so we were busy but they're two and three and I just began to feel yuck um, I didn't have a great way to describe that feeling at that time but it was yuck so I went to the doctor, and I just said, I feel like a little something's probably going on. And he said, oh, it is. You're just a stressed-out mom. I'm like, okay. So Michael takes me to the emergency room. I felt like I was having a heart attack. Same diagnosis, stressed-out mom. That's medical these days. So I just knew in my heart of hearts that through that testing process and them just giving us dead ends of, you're not sick. There's nothing wrong with you. I knew that something was wrong. We mm -hmm. just couldn't pinpoint it at the time. Mm -hmm. So I ended up telling Michael, my <coughs> husband, I said, you know, one day I'm just going to fall over dead, and I just want you to go back to him and say, she told you. <laughs> I said, I just want the last word. <laughs> so sure enough, that's kind of how I lived. The rest of those days was just, yeah, I don't feel right, but they can't figure me out. Yeah. So. During that time, you move. You're you're from Memphis. We are from a suburb from, in Memphis. Okay, yeah. and then you move to another small town in Tennessee that you weren't that excited about. Completely, completely. <laughs> Michael's job transfers us every little bit, so he transferred us from home to a couple of hours away, hour and a half or so away, where everything had to change. Our friend group changed. Our our church, our school, everything. So you may as well have moved me across the country. Um, but had that not occurred, we would have never found ourselves just two years ago moving to Atlanta yeah. or in this area. Yeah. And we look back on that now and say, praise the Lord and thank you. But it, even though at the time I was kicking and screaming for that one move from Memphis. Yeah. Now, when he came home and said, we're moving to Atlanta, I'm like, how soon can we pack? This is <laughs> I'm ready great. to get out of here. Huh? Yeah. yeah. So you moved to Atlanta and still... <clears throat> lingering, I guess by that time, 10 years or so, there's exactly. just this, um, something's not right, right, but nobody will tell me that something's not right. Exactly. Uh, so I manage it, but then it, it, it got to a point where you couldn't ignore it anymore. That's right. That's right. So there was a weekend that we went to the lake with some friends and um, I got boat sick related to car sickness. And I don't do that. I don't get boat sick. I grew up on the lake and knew that that was awkward. And I thought, what is wrong with me? And as we're walking back to the place where we were staying, I thought, I'm about to pass out. Something mm. is wrong with me. But then I just go inside, drink a Coke, cool off, you know, everything that you would naturally try to compensate with. But on that Monday morning, so that was Saturday. On the following Monday morning, um, let me also say this. If you do not keep a prayer journal and you do not keep 
um, words that God has given you, start today. Don't miss out on this because the last year of my world has been so significant for my time with Jesus that I had forgotten some of the details until I went back and thinking about Ken and I sitting up here this morning talking, and I thought, oh, I forgot that God had done that. So two days before I went to the lake, in my quiet time, the Lord said, joy is independent of circumstances. And I thought nothing of it right then. I just thought, oh, yeah, okay, joy is independent of circumstances. But then you start looking um, just three days later, and then I wrote in my prayer journal, Lord, prayers to heal my body that feels so weak today. Help me hear from you. And it was because I was laying in my bed that morning doing my quiet time, had just had fun on a weekend at the lake with friends, but I could not get myself out of bed. And I'm like, I've got to get these girls to school, and then I'll just come back home and figure this out. But I was so weak, I knew I couldn't drive. So I walked from the bedroom to the kitchen. I laid in the kitchen floor and had to call for my husband to come back home. And I thought, joy is independent of circumstances. <laughs> so Mike comes home. He does. Things are not well. Uh, gets the girls to school. We get them to school. And then you, you go first to a minute clinic, which was a, not a good situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, it didn't really solve anything there. It solved nothing. So, okay. It solved nothing. Um, <clears throat> from there, you just came back home? We made a few phone calls because we were new to the area still, really, essentially, had no clue where to go. Um, So another friend suggested we head to Emory. So we went to the main campus there. Okay. You get to Emory, and they do some workups, some Some tests, look at the blood. So get a couple of blood transfusions and realize and look at the young nurse practitioner. Y'all, he looked 10. But I was trusting him because the Lord tells me to trust. So I was trusting him after a couple of blood transfusions, and I said, so I'm sick, right? And he said, well, you are, but we're going to figure you out. He said, I'm pretty sure you have a lot of years ahead of you in life. And I'm like, oh, okay. So then all of a sudden, God starts using him in just that statement, and then God starts giving me other scriptures, Mm. just infusing my mind with scriptures of peace and reassurance and Different things like that. From there, you eventually end up at Emory Midtown. There's not enough beds at Emory, right. and so no room in the end. No so room then in I the had end. to Midtown. Yeah, so you're right. you're at Midtown, <laughs> right? And they're trying to figure you out. They are. That begins a a pretty long process uh, of trying to figure you out and right. what the next right move is. So they begin tests. Right, so that week they're just trying to figure out where that blood loss is coming from because it was apparent on this on on test on labs that I was losing blood um, every day. Mm. So it was you know to the point of hey we've got to find this. So their initial knee jerk reaction maybe we didn't think it was wise, but ends up being the wisest thing I could have had done was a colonoscopy. And I gave them all the excuses of hey I'm not 50 yet, I'm not this, I'm not you know I'm not symptomatic or whatever. And literally, my mom and dad's Sunday school teacher called them, and he said, they are barking up the wrong tree (laughs) with that test. And as funny as that kind of sounds, they did not bark up the wrong tree. Um, They did find colon cancer, which floored all of us when they made that um, discovery. And just chronologically, just so we don't get lost in the calendar, this was 15 months ago? This was... This was August of 2016. August of 2016. That's right. Just a little over a year ago. Right. They find colon cancer, yep. but 
That's not where the blood loss is coming no, from. No, that was not the culprit. Um, so they find that, make that discovery, and send me home. And they're like, we're still working on this. And I'm like, okay, I'm still working on this too. <laughs> um, almost a month to the day later, I find myself wow. back in Emory, went back to Clifton, the main campus, and we start the whole process all over again. Mm. So several more blood transfusions later, another week inpatient, um, extensive testing, a lot of ifs, ands, and what ifs coming mm. from that week for sure. But they Could were able be, to maybe. make them. And then is that when they do the endoscopy? Yes, they did an endoscopy. And to go a little further than that, it's an EGD. Mind you, I'd already had an endoscopy at the Midtown campus a month prior. So I'm like, look, they saw nothing. So they knew they needed to go lower. Mm. So they went lower. Um, and that's when they said, aha. And they found the tumor that was essentially in the stomach that was created years ago. And this had been causing the side pain exactly. for years and years and years and years. This and was you the were pain just that a stressed out mom, but you were carrying this around that right. started on the outside and, and ate through the <clears throat> Right. Intestine. The tumor had started on the outside of the intestine, but we didn't know until I went in for the surgery that it had already eaten through that intestine, uh -huh. and that was causing just kind of everything. So was that it? We got colon cancer. We got this big tumor. Is that all there is? Right. No. So through some further testing that same week, um, we knew I had this one massive tumor. We knew the colon was an issue. But through further testing, just to make sure that my body was still clear of disease in other areas, they put me through some scans, agreed to. Um, they saw two spots in the liver and then another spot in the chest mm -hmm. area and just... Weren't quite sure what those were, but... You mentioned the uh, the move to Atlanta. Um, you had, as a child, you were, you were at St. Jude's. Yes. And so all the yes. great work that they do, and, yes. and people have seen appeals for donations. Maybe some of you have donated, and you're yes. here today because of God and His protection sure. over you, but certainly the, the medical minds of St. Jude. For sure. You end up at Emory, right? and the brightest of the bright top of the food chain guys are on your case. Right. It's never a good thing when you land in the chief of surgical oncology's office. <laughs> but if something's wrong with you, it's a wonderful thing. And though I'm trusting our great physician in the Lord, I'm just trusting that he is going to guide those steps and he is going to place the most knowledgeable people who won't just tell me that I'm a stressed out mom to actually care for my medical needs. So I trust them from the physical standpoint, but I'm trusting God ultimately to and guide and I, nurture that. The way I am, and I kind of picked up, you're a little bit like this too. It, the initial reaction is, okay, well, let's just fix it. Let's just go do it. But they had to kind of get their plan together because there was a lot going on. There's a lot had already been done inside of you. And so... They're having to get their plans together. They're communicating with doctors from the past and getting mm -hmm. reports and drawings of, look, this is what you're going to find when you open her up and, right. and having to figure, map out, okay, what do we do with all that's going on? Right. Our Emory doctors had to figure out how they had put Humpty Dumpty back together again <laughs> all those years ago Sure. because it's not the normal when you... I guess, opened me up. It wasn't going to be what they anticipated finding on how they had restructured the anatomy. Hmm. So, yeah, so even when I would think my physicians were not working, they worked more than behind the scenes sure. to make that happen. The, um, they, 
there was a feeling that the colon cancer was the, the big deal. And they were kind of focused there. And yet you realize that couldn't be causing all of this other stuff. Right. So Ken had the pleasure of sitting in my room the day that the doctor walks into the hospital or into my room. And he says he pulls up a chair and it's never a good thing either when they pull up a chair beside your bed. And then the nurse follows them in with like a syringe and you're thinking, what in the world? I'm thinking I'll take some of that. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Would you calm me down? She's fine. Right. (laughs) So he pulls up the chair and he says, well, we think what you have is stage four colon cancer. And he said it so gently. And I just looked at him and, I, and he was really kind. Yeah. You referred to him as Doogie Hauser because he was <laughs> so young too. But I just looked at him and said, that is not what I have. And it was just with a sense of confidence because the Lord had already, A, just kept giving me scriptures. And stage four colon cancer meant that I was probably dying tomorrow. And I just knew that I had had that one pain in my side for all these years. And if that was stage four colon cancer, then... You wouldn't still be here. I wouldn't have still been here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we might still be dealing with stage four, but that wasn't it that day. So they they (laughs) figure all of that out. This other tumor is causing some of it. It's not stage four colon cancer, Mm -hmm. but it is colon cancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a spot on your chest. There's like these other things going on. And then they decide, all right, this is what we're going to do. So this is a year ago, almost a little over a mm-hmm. year ago, September 2016. What was the plan a year ago? So September 2016, we did develop a plan, and I thought it was a great plan. But we would do one big surgery to remove the entire colon. We would move, remove a third of the liver, and then we would restructure the abdomen, um, the inside, which you know, was taking apart the stomach that they had built years ago and rebuilding a new stomach, essentially, with all those extra intestines. Yes. You know, if you don't think that God knits you and forms you in your mother's (laughs) womb, like the physician, the chief of surgery, thought that was a way cool medical story. Y'all, that is a God story right there because he knew that I was going to need all those extra intestines before I was even born. Right. So they do all of that. So we do that surgery. Take all of that out, restructure. You recover. Mm -hmm. This is December, January, and you're feeling great. I feel great. I feel like a new woman. Yeah, I feel like a new woman. Oh, totally. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, I mean, doing everything and loving life, living life to the fullest, but still knowing, hey, they saw this other spot in your chest. We've got to reevaluate that and go see what that is. And when did that reevaluation take place? Yeah, so we started that process actually in January of this oh, year. Okay. So it's been a while since we started, and it was, again, just this team of incredible medical professionals just trying to figure out what's going to be the best step here and what is it, because the scans, of course, never clearly show exactly what I have. Um, and those scans did not show exactly what it was or the exact location, but they just knew they had to go in and get it because it appeared to be laying next to the main artery of the mm-hmm. heart. So summer comes, you, you, you want to you have a, the summer with your right. girls, they're home, so you say, can we do this? I'm very good at negotiation when it comes <laughs> to all this medical stuff. So I negotiate now. I have found myself in the office of the chief of surgery for cardiovascular now. All the chiefs. Um, You got all all the chiefs. chiefs. All the chiefs. I'm just their little Indian. But finding myself in his office, I said, can we not just wait at least until school starts back? 
you know, let's just play the summer away. Um, I knew we had to do something. Right. So sure enough, waited until school started back, went in and had really open chest surgery yeah. and removed the tumor from the heart sac. It actually surprisingly ended up being in the heart sac, laying in there like a football. So he was able to just kind of go in and segment that out. It, of course, we could smile about this now, um, but when you're when the surgeon came in afterwards, he said, well, I've never done one of those before, right? Something right. like that. I think I've got like cream of the crop here. And he <laughs> said, you know, I've removed this type of tumor before, but I've never removed it from that location. And I'm like, good Gee, to know. Thanks. Yeah. Good to know. Glad I could provide your entertainment for the day. And did a great job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'm grateful for him. Absolutely. Uh, so that was September? That was August of this year. The August. Very Last of August of this year. Yeah. I, I remember us talking that one of the hard parts was previously you'd felt yucky for years and years and years. You yeah. felt great before going right. into this one and the right. recovery was going to be significant. Right. You know, anytime so, they open up your chest and the, the recovery is going to be significant. So for whatever reason in my head, I had that this recovery wasn't going to be nearly as long or as extensive as the stomach surgery, but it ended up being much longer. And this surgery was harder to like tug it under my belt and be ready to run with it yeah. because I did feel so good. I was not symptomatic. I was not symptomatic of colon cancer, nor was I symptomatic of having a tumor in my heart. Mm -hmm. um, so it was hard. I felt, I, I mean, I even told the physician, I feel like I'm volunteering for you to do this. Yeah. But ultimately I knew it was the right. Volunteering to feel bad. Right. I'm volunteering to feel bad again for eight weeks. And I mean. Yeah. Because of what they did, you, you couldn't ride in. You weren't supposed to ride in a car. I wasn't car. supposed to ride in a car. You were, you just started driving again on Tuesday. Is that right? I did. Yay. They have let me loose and now I'm just driving <laughs> wherever. Yeah. Huge story. Yes. Medical story, but just. The, the providence and sovereignty of God over you, the power of prayer. What, what were those things in this space in between, in this waiting and in, in all of the unknowns? What were the things that strengthened you, that helped you, that are transferable to right. any waiting period that we're in? Right. So can we throw those words, consider Jesus, back up on the screen? And I told you when Ken and I started, I said, just consider Jesus. So you've heard the medical side of things, and you got the Cliff Notes version of certainly my medicals, because we could be here until this time next week yeah. sharing all of this. But just consider Jesus. And I tell Michael, I said, I don't know how anybody would do something like this or navigate any space in between if they did not have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I encourage you just to keep your prayer journal. And this is actually not my prayer journal. These are just my notes of the last year. And what I did was outline every single day. And I wrote every day the verse that the Lord gave me for that day. And sometimes it was multiple verses. And sometimes it was just one simple thing. Um, but he spoke. I asked him to speak. And he did speak. Mm -hmm. But if you do not have a personal relationship with him, it's almost impossible for him to speak to you. So your first steps would be making sure that you've got that personal relationship with Jesus. Do not leave here today without asking him into your heart if you have not already done so. And then the next word that I want you to consider is faith. Because as a 15-year-old, I had already established um, a faith walk with our Lord. And as a 15-year-old, I got it. 
you know, so much so that I was able to lay on the, on the stretcher that day that I was getting that chemo and just boldly pray that prayer and say, Lord, if you're taking me at any point in this journey, let it be today. I'm tired. Y'all, and I meant that. I can't imagine praying that now because I feel like I have more at stake now with a family. But I meant it at that day. And then my next word that I put up here was glory. Because the surgery that I had in November for the whole stomach and all of that issue, God said, you are going to share my glory story, and I'm giving you a glory story, and I want my name to be proclaimed to the masses. I had no clue. Sorry, I have gum. I had no clue that I would be sitting at Journey Church on a Sunday morning sharing with you all of the goodness and the glory of our Lord and Savior. Um, and could not have done that had I not had this personal relationship with him established first in order to let him work through me so that we can speak to you. And then the next word, peace. Throughout the surgery in November and throughout this journey, there were times that I would be like, oh, no, what is fixing to happen? And there were times that I might have felt a little bit anxious. Um, For example, going into that EGD finally where they found the actual tumor that was hurting in my side, um, the, the reason we sang the God of Angels armies this morning is because I'm laying there and I'm anemic, so the heart rate's automatically a little higher. But then I had this old, gruff anesthesiologist, and he's like, why is your heart rate so high? And he literally said it to me like that, like he was trying to discipline me for having a high heart rate. Before surgery. Right. Well, yeah, before they put me to sleep. And I said, well, I'm anemic, A. And I said, yeah, and I'm, I'm just a little nervous about being here. Why are you so nervous? I'm going to give you something. And I was like, no. And then before I could, you know, really negotiate that one, he had already given me something. But the Lord also gave me something at that same time. And it was just that song, the God of Angels Armies is always by my side. And as I went to sleep, I was just singing that. And I'm like, it complete peace, and I was just able to lay back and just rest. Um, now, forcefully so, but there's a difference between the medication of peace and the difference between the peace that the Lord gives you, and that day it was the Lord's peace. He continued to give me that throughout. The Lord was able to use me in that piece of a journey so that I could, like, help mm-hmm. my family experience and try to have some of that same peace. My family was a bit more anxious about all of this than I was, and it was me texting them these scriptures every day, friends and family, and I would say, no, here's what the Lord said today, and then we would just be able to kind of navigate the road that way. My next word, trust. Um, A song that we did not sing this morning, and I want you to go home, and I want you to listen to it on your way home, but it's Mercy Me Even If. I know Ken told you to put all your paper and your phones away and stuff, so please remember that one. But mercy me even if. And in that song, the Lord tells, the lyrics tell us that um, my hope is in you alone, even if. So, of course, it is my prayer to, like, have extended years on earth, but even if. God gave me this song when I learned of the chest surgery. And I'm praying, God, just take it. I know you can. We read of your miracles in the Bible all the time about how you've healed the woman just because she touched your your cloak. You healed her of her blood disease when she touched your cloak. All you have to do, God, is just speak it. And then that person is healed. Mm. And I'm like, he can do that for me too. So I'm like, Lord, just take the tumor out of my heart before I even have to have the chest cut open and lose my driving privileges for weeks. But you know what? We have to trust him even if. 
And you know what? He didn't. He didn't. And I still had to endure and go through that surgery, which is good because there were more lessons to be learned for me. But it's just that faith, trust, peace, and glory. And when we follow those steps, it all does just kind of seem to pan out. And like really looking forward, I'm really good with whatever. Like I'm ready to tackle the next space in between. I have lived in this space in between. I don't feel like I'm out of it yet, but I call it life. And life continues to just kind of do this for us. Some days are better than others, but how we navigate all of those days is through Jesus. And some days we can just say, Lord, thank you. I praise you because nothing's really happening today. And then in those other days, we find ourselves prostrate on the ground, just crying out to him. So my best word for you today, do not leave if you do not have a personal relationship with him. Like I want to ensure that that is the case for everyone sitting in here. We want, to, we want to wrap up knowing that uh, all of us bring a story into today and all of us bring struggles and maybe some of us, definitely some of us, are in the space in between. We're in waiting and we don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, maybe there's, there's been a diagnosis and, and you're battling similar battles as well. And I, I thought that maybe you would like for Nikki to pray for you, somebody who's walked difficult roads, and maybe she could pray over you as someone who has walked with God through these times, who trusts God, and maybe if you're not trusting right now, maybe she can trust a little bit for you in this time. And here's what I want to do. It's going to take a little bit of courage on your part. I'm going to ask if that's you. It doesn't have to be medical. It could be relational. It could be anything that's going on in your life. If you want to be prayed over this morning uh, by Nikki, I'm just going to ask you to stand right now. And again, I know that takes some courage and kind of worried what somebody might say. Nobody's going to say anything around you. They're they're going to pray for you too. So anybody here say, I I just like people to pray for me. We want to do that. We're, We're the church. That's who we are. That's what we do. And so we want to pray for you. Nikki, would you pray? Father God, we just thank you for this morning, God. We just thank you for the people who have gathered here today just to to hear some encouragement about the space in between, Lord. We thank you for the spaces in between that you give us, Lord. We know that those are of you. They are growth periods for us, God. I pray for the folks who are so bold enough today to just stand and say, God, Without you today, I feel like I'm going to sink unless you step in the space in between with me and you help carry me through. God, I pray that you will touch each individual here, Lord, and whatever their need is and just whatever um, the crisis is that they may be going through, Lord, that you would just infuse them with the same peace, trust, hope, glory, just everything, Lord, that would just magnify you even more. But I pray that you would just give that to them in a way, God, that they would realize that that comes from no one else but you. God, I pray that you would start on their drive home with giving them songs and scriptures, Lord, that they can just remember in those most stressful moments, Lord, when you can't focus on reading your word, but you can actually focus because you've remembered and you've hidden those words in their heart, God. We pray for everybody who's navigating the space in between, Lord. Heal them, mend the brokenness, and just go before them. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for who you are, and we look forward to what you are doing for each of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Let me invite everybody to stand. We're going to sing this song. 
sovereign over us. Wherever we are in the journey, wherever your path has you right now, God's still in control. And he can still be trusted and counted on. And yeah, it'll take a little bit of courage, but maybe you're at a point where it would help you to just come during this song and maybe kneel right here and give whatever it is over to him. And maybe you've already done it before, but you know you need to do it again today. You just need to say, God, I can't carry this by myself. I can't shoulder the weight of this alone. I want to give it to you. And maybe it would help you to come to the front this morning and just kneel and just talk to your Father who loves you and who will help carry your burdens. Or maybe you need Jesus today. Maybe what you need is a personal relationship with Christ. So maybe during this song, you would come to the front and you just kneel and you say, God, I want a relationship with Jesus. I believe he died and rose again. I want him to be my Savior. I don't want to walk through life alone. I want to give everything to Jesus. You can do that during this song.